We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. I'm Steve Rivero, once again joined by Johnny Gomez and Norm Hightower. We're going to get right into things here. Week one of the preseason, the Rams finally had their homecoming to L.A., and Johnny was actually at the game, so we're going to let him talk about stadium atmosphere and what it was like for a little bit. To put things into perspective, Steve, this was definitely not a preseason game. At least if you were there, you would have no idea this was a preseason game because it was intense. From the moment the whistles were blown, it's a little disappointing with the with the start, but my God, this was easily one of the most electrifying preseason games I've ever seen, if not the most. Record-setting one, too. 89,140 attendees at this game. And let I me tell it. you, it was we felt the body heat of every single person there. Yeah, it was the highest-selling preseason game, I think, in America, ever. Oh, no doubt. And... I mean, it was just incredible. I've never seen anything quite like this. Even on the drive over, so many freeways were packed with traffic. This was the real Carmageddon. Southern California was not ready for this at all. And on top of all of that, you would definitely think that this was a a playoff game because no doubt about it, everybody wanted the Rams to win. 
even the Cowboy fans were just, like, really into the game. And, I mean, everybody just wanted this, this win. And I'm thinking, this is the first preseason game, right? Yeah, it looked pretty intense on TV. I mean, when I was watching the game, I I was impressed with how many fans were there and and how loud it was on the TV. And even with it being a a preseason game, especially the first preseason game, you didn't see too many people leave. There were a few, but you didn't see too many people leave. And people were staying loud and, and, and proud all the way up into the fourth quarter. And then, of course, the fourth quarter was when the Rams came back and ended up winning the game. So I was pretty impressed with the crowd. Yeah, brought up people leaving and uh, if you ever watch, like, any Los Angeles sports teams, like, if you ever watch a Dodger game, right around the seventh inning, you'll see fans leaving because they want to avoid the traffic. Yes, Southern California is very congested in traffic from time to time. <laughs> so we'll start at under center with quarterbacks. We can just make our way down the depth chart here since we're going to talk about all three. We'll start with Case Keenum. He started the game. It was a pretty classic Keenum performance, 6 of 7, 58 yards. No mistakes, nothing too flashy. Do you guys think he did anything to keep the job moving forward? I mean, Keenan's got the job until he loses it. And, you know, until Goff does something to show that he can take it, it's going to be his. He's not going to be flashy, like you said. Short yardage, completion. I just don't don't expect to see a lot of flash from Keenum on the field. So it was pretty typical case Keenum. Yeah, Keenum-esque performance. There just was no doubt about it. Uh, nothing spectacular. Pretty much everything you would expect uh, out of Case Keenum at this point. I uh, definitely don't think he uh, lost anything. Uh, he didn't gain anything. He's just where he's at. It, it's like Norm said. It's his job to lose, and uh, until somebody takes it from him, it, it's going to be his job. Yeah, I would agree. You know, he did everything he asked, and it's hard to really get a grasp on how the offense will look with Keenum under center without Todd Gurley, who didn't play because – Obviously, the offense is going to run through him. But that's really all you can ask of Keenum. No mistakes. Only one incompletion, which is impressive. So I think he just did as expected. So we'll move on to the center of attention all day. That was Jared Goff. Only got two series in before he had a little minor shoulder scare that they just kept him out because it's preseason, no point risking. Four for nine, 38 yards, and an interception off a tip. And he was sacked once. What do you guys make of Goff's first performance on the Rams? I think everyone's kind of at the the sky's falling kind of scenario with Goff. I uh, saw that he wasn't throwing, you know, some flashy numbers in the first preseason game. Everyone's making the point that it wasn't even against the first team defense. But to tell you the truth, you, you have to remember that this guy's a rookie. He's not a pro. He's not going to come in and just dominate right away. Gonna make some mistakes, which he definitely did. But I think part of the issue was I, I just think he got nervous. This wasn't a preseason game like atmosphere. As I mentioned earlier, this felt like a playoff atmosphere. And I don't know if uh, the cameras caught it too well, but when golf stepped in, and even during his first pass, everyone was on their feet. Everyone was was clapping and cheering. And they, they wanted to see something happen, I, and I think it may have gotten to him. Well, and it got to him all right because his first pass attempt, he was sacked, never saw the guy coming, got drilled into the ground, injured his shoulder. You know, like I, like I said earlier, welcome to the NFL, Jared Goff. He got hammered pretty good, and I'm sure 
that got him a little flustered just starting off. I think it's obviously way too early to tell anything about Goff right now. He made some good throws. He was under center, which he didn't do in college. Uh, he ran a huddle, which he didn't do in college. First preseason game, what do you expect from the kid? I didn't expect much. He came out and, and performed okay, and I think next week will give him a little more of an opportunity to be able to go out there and play some more, and when we actually get to see him for more than a you know a series and a half or two series, I think we'll get to really see the, the true Garrett Goff. Look at, look at Mannion. You know, Mannion last year looked very similar to what Goff looked like in preseason. He wasn't completing many passes. You know, looked very nervous out there. And Mannion came in and ran the office. Looked like he'd been doing it forever. So don't worry about Goff yet. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he looked all right. Because we've seen better from rookies. We've seen worse. We didn't get enough of a sample size to really make anything of how he did off there. But I do agree with Johnny. The crowd is excited for Jared Goff, clearly. And they'll be behind him all year. We could take that and transition right into what normal time I was Sean Mannion. Sean Mannion went off, led the team on a comeback in the second half, 18 for 25, 150 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. What do you guys make, like, what do we do after this performance in regards to Sean Mannion? I said when they drafted Mannion, because I've seen a lot of him, Johnny probably has too, being a Pac-12 fan. You know, Mannion ran the offense at Oregon State. It was a pro-style offense. I knew he had the talent when he came in. I didn't didn't know how long it was going to take him to come around and be able to show what he could do. You know, last preseason he didn't really show a lot. But this time you could really tell that he's grown. I think Chris Wink, he's done a great job with him. The the news around camp is that he's had a great camp. And, you know, this guy's your, you know, I think he's like 6'6". He can see, he can throw, he can move, he's smart. So it's going to make things difficult. If Goff does take over as number one, and Mannion, I think Mannion's earned the number two spot, That, that what's that mean for Keenum is what I'd be saying. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Mannion, I think he's always been kind of the forgotten child, if you will. He definitely didn't impress anyone last preseason, but he's a guy that has always had the potential to maybe have some sort of impact in it's kind of a shame that we never really considered him as a viable option because he's certainly the type of guy that can surprise a few people. And he, and he certainly did, albeit it was a preseason game against, you know, lower tier defenses. But I definitely think that Mannion should be considered if he's doing better than maybe Keenum and Goff certainly doesn't look like he's ready quite yet. You know, still early to tell, but who knows, maybe Mannion could be the guy to become the starter in the first half of the year. Who knows? I think Coach Fisher definitely needs to give all three guys some time with the number ones during preseason because that's when you're going to really tell what they can do. Mannion was out there, you know, in the second half with the lower-tiered defense, a lot less talent out there. Of course, he he had less talent on the Rams side, too, on the offensive line and so forth. So, I think the smart thing to do is give all of them some time with the number ones in the in the first four games, and then that's when you can truly see what's going on. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Mannion should get time because if he's good, he's an asset. And I think you can make two spins really on this if Sean Mannion keeps up playing like this in the preseason. The positive one would be Sean Mannion looks like an NFL quarterback. The Rams could start him if Goff's not ready, or if Goff looks good and Mannion, They'll have two guys, and they could fetch some value for Keenum, say, if 
Denver doesn't look good the first couple weeks. Maybe they trade a mid-round pick for Keenum. Who knows? Something like that. And then the other way you could spin this is if Sean Mannion looks really good, did we even need to trade up for a quarterback? Because we said this last week, you know, they drafted this guy in the third round, and they never really gave him a shot. It's similar to the Trey Mason situation, except even less because he at least got a year. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree 100%. I was disappointed because, like I said, I got to see Mannion play a lot, and I knew he, I knew he could do it, and I, and I kind of predicted that he would do it. I didn't expect him to do it so well so quickly. And, and you know, again, the talent he was facing made made difference maker, but he certainly looked poised out there in the game. He made some really good passes. I think we also have to give credit to the lower half of the depth chart on the offensive line. We made this point last week when we talked about the offensive line depth, and the the offensive line definitely shined, especially in the uh, later in the third and the fourth quarter. So I, I definitely think you have to give them uh, a lot of credit too, because uh, Manion, Manion looked pretty strong back there. Yeah, you definitely got to give some props to the backup offensive line and the backup receivers that. They were all apart in getting that comeback going. Spruce. <laughs> yeah, so the big stories in the receiving core would be breakout star was definitely Nelson Spruce. Six receptions, 51 yards, and a TD. Uh, guy looks like he's got a real shot at making the team and actually could end up producing and being in the depth chart. What do you guys think? Brian Quick, who? Uh, I mean, I'm not joking uh, when, when I really think that Nelson Spruce could be a guy to really take over this depth because when, when I really think about it, who, who's going to really challenge him? I mean, you, you got Kenny Britt, who's probably going to make the roster just because there's potential, uh, and Tavon Austin, who's, you know, definitely not in the same category as Spruce. So, uh, I, I definitely don't think there's really much to challenge Spruce there. Uh, and on top of that, the dude just looked like he had been doing it for a while. Uh, Norm had, pretty much made the, the right comment uh, last podcast saying that, you know, we've seen him, what you can do in the Pac-12, and I, I definitely think Nelson Spruce is going to be a guy to watch for. And, uh, you know, he is he is a rookie technically, but um, I, I definitely think he can make some noise, and the crowd was certainly making some noise. I didn't even realize people knew who he was, but you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know any different because the whole crowd was just – shouting spruce i actually was like wait bruce i can tell you that i watched him catch everything that was thrown his way in college and he certainly he certainly showed that he can do that in the nfl uh again you know maybe with some better corners in there he may not be as good but with what i've seen you know in college i I have no doubt that he can make this team i i think he's He's like a, the second coming of a Ricky Prohl or very similar to a Danny Amendola. He's a tough kid. He'll go after the pass. He'll catch it. Uh, he's, he's deceivingly quick, and he, he's got, like, super glue on his hands. The kid just catches a football. And I was really excited to see him play and, and do as well as he did. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope his knee sprain doesn't uh, keep him out for very long. And I really think that he's made the team. I wrote that in the article. I think he's already on the squad at this point. So it's going to definitely change the depth chart. You've got Quick that I don't know. Um, you've got Mike Thomas, who they, they drafted this year, who also is one of those guys that seems to catch everything, but he didn't seem to catch much in the game. So, you know, and then you got guys like Duke Williams, who didn't see a lot of playing time, but 
it, it's it's going to be interesting. The next three weeks, there's going to be a couple guys that are going to have to start playing a lot harder for their team. Uh, Bradley Marquez isn't going to make the team unless he does it in special teams. Brian Quick is going to be definitely in the same position. I think the wide receiver core this year looks a lot better than it did last year. Yeah, definitely. I would say, as of right now, Spruce is easily on the team because of the real question marks after Brynn, Tavon Austin. Another guy we liked on our podcast, Tyler Higby, had a big game. Five receptions, 49 yards, pretty much as expected from us. But two things in the bottom of the box score that I don't really like. Farrell Cooper had no receptions on two targets. And Duke Williams, who I was high on, and I think all of us were, only one reception on one target for four yards. Do we? Is this a bad sign for Duke moving forward, seeing as he's definitely on the bubble to make the team? I don't think he saw the playing time, first of all. I think he, I think they're going to have to, to give him some more time on the field to make that opinion one way or the other. As far as Farrah Cooper goes, uh, he almost made a really good catch from Goff uh, down close to the end zone, and he got smacked, and, and that's to be expected. It's first game of the season, and, you know, you can't wait too much into anything at this point. Any of these predictions that we're making now, we're lucky if we get any of them right, to be perfectly honest with you, because you just never know. They may they may be putting guys out there that they want to give more time to figure out if they want to keep them or not, and they might be holding out guys that have already made the team that we don't even know about. So it's it's really tricky, and especially in the first preseason game. I think that Williams will be fine if, uh, you know, when he's given the chance. Still the first preseason game of the season, and as far as Farrell Cooper... He, he did make some noises uh, in the special teams, uh, made an excellent return. So I, I definitely think um, Cooper's going to do his thing. Didn't really have too many opportunities. And as Norm brought up, pretty much made the catch just, man, he was hammered. Uh, the whole stadium heard that one, and everyone was not only disappointed, but uh, kind of felt for him, man. He, he got hit pretty hard. How many receivers did the Rams keep last year? That's a good question. I could look that up for you. I mean, there's so many good receivers now, and, and that's a pleasant thing to say about the Rams. There's so many good young players that are coming in that have a shot at making the team. I, I really think it's going to depend on how many slots they have available to who they keep. And uh, a lot of these young linebackers that we have are looking really good on special teams. So, you know, <laughs> it's going to be kind of a I, – I would not want to be in the position to pick the 53-man roster on this on this club this year because it's going to be tough. Well, you know there are going to be a few that are going to make the squad, the practice squad as well. So, you know, the, the only thing is if we'll be able to keep them is, is the real question. So today I'd like to thank our sponsors, Healthiest You. Healthiest You is a telemedicine program that allows you to have 24-7 access to a doctor via mobile app or phone. You can call and tell the doctor what your issues are and if they can diagnose um, your issue and it's something that they can prescribe for. They can send a prescription to your local pharmacy and keep you from having to go to the doctor. The cost on that is around $11 a month for an individual and 15 for an entire family. It's a great way to maybe cut your costs on, on your health insurance. One thing I do want to touch quickly on um, that wasn't going to be really one of our talking points today, but our running back depth is solid. Oh, um, definitely. I knew we were going to be all right with Gurley and with Benny Cunningham, but uh, Malcolm Brown came in and, and showed that he can run with power, and uh, Aaron Green came in and showed some flashes. <laughs> I really think we're in good shape in that department, which is good to see. Definitely. It'll be a battle for – third on the depth chart for sure, but 
you can't really ask for much better at that position after Gurley and Cunningham. We got a lot of talent there. Even Chase Reynolds looked good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think with Reynolds, as far as he's concerned, I, I think we we may see him as uh, last time in the Rams uni. I, I mean, he's a pretty solid guy. Uh, he does have some experience, but I, I honestly really liked what I saw in Malcolm Brown and Aaron Green. And then, of course, you know, you have Cunningham and Gurley, and so I just don't think there's going to be any spot left for, for Reynolds. Well, unless it's on special teams, which is what he does mostly anyways. Mm, might go to Cooper, though. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like I said, I wouldn't want to be the guy that picks a 53-man roster because they're going to be making some tough choices. Uh, yeah, for the record on receivers, it looks like they're floating around six all year because with Stem and Bell, Bailey filtering out and then Wes Welker coming in. Was Nick Toon on the week one roster, do you guys remember? I think he was technically, but I don't think they played him. Okay, then I think we kept six because Bradley Marquez was on at the beginning of the season, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then it would have been Marquez, Toon, Quick, Britt, Austin, and Bailey. And then we got Welker later on. So if they keep six, you got Britt, you've got Austin, you've got uh, Farrell Cooper, who's going to make the team. There's three. Yeah. We said Spruce is going to make it. There's four. That leaves two. Thomas will probably fill another spot. I would say Spruce, you know, after Spruce, it's Thomas and Quick. I think that's what they're going to keep. Yeah. Uh, I'm really hoping that. Duke Williams can come in and, and be the Brian Quick that we thought we were going to see. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping he does. Yeah, I, I think the Brian Quick experiment is going gonna, is, is gonna to fail, and we, we, we're going to have to move on from Brian Quick. Which is really unfortunate, given how high we drafted him. You know, it's, it's disappointing a little bit when you look at some of the picks that the Rams have made have just they've hit it out of the park completely with. Right. And, and, and I, I wasn't as concerned as, as a lot of people were with taking Tyler Higby as quickly as we did. You know, people no, were I saying – a lot of people were saying we should have took him, you know, a round or two later. But No, definitely uh, not. After seeing him play, obviously they made the right choice. So when this Fisher and Sneed team took over – you know, I think they've done considerably well when you when you look at things overall. You may not agree with all their picks or how early they took them or taking one player over another. Nobody's perfect, but I think overall they've done a pretty darn good job. Absolutely. They've definitely nailed a lot of picks, and even when they make questionable moves like drafting best players available over needs with, like, Donald and Gurley, it's clearly worked out. Oh, yeah. But their legacy is going to be built on this season. It's yep. going to be built on Goff. Yeah, everyone will think of golf when, when they're thinking of Fisher and Snead. Yeah, which, I mean, they've done great, so it's kind of unfortunate. But if the golf, do, if golf doesn't work out, it's not going to be remembered positively. No, but it's way too early to tell. I've already seen, I've already seen people on social media and, and on TV, and I've talked to people, and they're all freaking out. And I'm like, good lord, it's just week one of the preseason. Give them some time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's way too early. Well, and speaking of that, I mean, I know Steve and I weren't at the game, and, and Johnny was, but, you know, Gruden and uh, Sean McDonough were awful hard on Goff in the, in the booth. I mean, you know, they were going off on him because he wasn't, you know, getting the snap off quickly enough in the two-minute drill and, and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, they were acting like, you know, he was already a draft bust in the way they were talking before – even completed a series. Yeah, I don't understand why, like, I mean, the clock management wasn't good, but they weren't running a two-minute drill, and the announcers didn't seem to understand that. 
because they wanted Goff to run a normal offense. So they were taking their time, and Gruden was really adamant that in week one of the preseason, in the first game of this guy's career, they need to run faster and get up to the clock and score a touchdown in a not necessarily meaningless game, but a not very important game. In terms of wanting to have quarterbacks having time management, that, that'll come. You know, that that's the skill that can be perfected a little bit easier than the uh, normal mechanics of the game. But, you know, when you're, when you're trying to, you know, ha- run a normal offense, to me that's more of a concern than a two-minute drill that's going to be able to, you know, be a little bit easier to manage than running a normal offense. This is all we're trying to do is, is uh, basics. And, you know, once, once he masters that, then we can think of things like time management step-by-step. Yeah, it's definitely way too early to give him criticism on that, especially in a preseason game. So one thing that we've been concerned about during the preseason is the secondary. None of us were sold on it on our last podcast. And in the first half, the Rams got absolutely torched by Dak Prescott in his first game ever, who was a fourth-round pick. Uh, This is scary. This is a serious concern. What do you guys think is the answer to the problems that are going to rise in the secondary? Well, definitely not uh, Cody Sensabaugh, let me tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, he, he was he was pretty awful. Uh, in, in fact, uh, he he just looked just plain out garbage out there. He, he really didn't seem to know what he was doing. He looked really lost out there, and uh, it, it definitely showed on the field. Uh, they even kept, kept him out there for a little bit, and it, it didn't seem to matter much, you know, once Des Bryant left the field. So I'm hoping and praying that uh, – um, EJ Gaines comes back healthy because uh, th- this is a scary thought that Cody Sensabaugh might be our starter. Uh, Marcus Joyner didn't have much uh, much more success, and you know, really the only the only success I saw really came in the second half. The the first half defense, uh, at least the first half secondary anyway, just did not impress at all. Well, one thing you got to keep in mind is they kept the defense very vanilla. They didn't do a lot of blitzes like they normally would do. So I just think that, you know, they kept it real simple and, and, and a lot of man coverage, which is fine. I watched Cody Sensabaugh uh, over and over and over again when I was looking at the film. And to be quite honest, his coverage wasn't that bad. The problem was is Des Bryant is just such a beast that it didn't matter where they threw it. He could go out and get it, and Sensabaugh couldn't. But his coverage, all in all, wasn't that horrible. But he's definitely not the guy we want starting. So I'm really hoping EJ comes back. Um, EJ's supposed to be back this week in practice, and uh, hopefully we'll see some play in time in week two. Again, I'm not going to panic too much, um, but there there definitely still some concern there. Yeah, and, you know, they were missing guys. Robert Quinn's obviously not back. I think they rested Aaron Donald. So, and like you said, the pass rush wasn't as – fluent as it normally will be in the season but yeah like you said I mean it says Bryant but he was still doing whatever he wanted out there and it's not like the Tony Romo in full gear they had Dak Prescott who was taking his first snaps in an NFL game ever he was a fourth round pick it's not like this guy's touted as a world beater and give him credit yeah he played great but this is not really what we want to see and you got to hope that EJ Gaines comes in and fills that cornerback spot and maybe even they find someone in free agency or somebody really steps up at safety to help out there. I agree. The Rams return to LA this week wasn't really their only return to Hollywood as they were picked up on HBO for hard knocks this season. We got to see the first episode last Tuesday. What we got what you guys thoughts, favorite segments. I personally 
very much enjoyed Aaron Donald playing ping pong with random students. Um, if I was a student there and I agreed to play ping pong with NFL players and then Aaron Donald whipped his shirt off and started kicking my ass in ping pong, I'd be a little bit scared. Like you want to win against him, right? <laughs> yeah, and they did win. Yeah, they did. That That's because his partner wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, was it was it Willie Hayes or Sims? I couldn't it, remember. It was Sims. It was yeah, Sims. Was, Donald was not happy. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, I thought Hard Knocks was actually awesome. Um, I, I've watched some of the prior seasons, and uh, for for me, I think maybe it's just because I'm biased and, and I love the Rams, but this one seemed to be a lot better than some of the ones I've seen in the past. Uh, I, I think the thing that really set with me was by the end of the episode, I, I had a lot more respect for some of the coaches. And, you know, Fisher impressed me with kind of a no I'll, – I'll use his words, kind of a no-bullshit attitude. I'm not going to go 7-9 and nine again. You know, I, I mean, he just kept going and kept going and kept going. And then, you know, he lays down the rules and says, you know, no visitors in your dorm room. And then Dion Long goes and has a girl come to his room and gets caught. And Fisher calls him in and just says, what did you not understand? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought, okay, they're going to they're gonna maybe make him sit out for a couple weeks or, you know, a week or something like that. And lo and behold, Fisher just cuts him. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. I, I, I'm If I'm coaching, that's what I would do. So I was impressed by that. And then, you know, with me being a former Marine and all, uh, Mike Waffle really, really impressed me. He, he works those defensive linemen like a drill instructor would. Um, he just goes in there and just his attitude and his positivity and, and how he's just so pumped up all the time, uh, that that really made me feel good and, and made me understand why our defensive line is, is as good as they are. And then I was also impressed with Chris Winkie. You know, he, he seems to be doing a really good job with the quarterbacks, and I think that's obvious with the way that, that – Sean Mannion played. So, you know, it gives me hope for Goff that he's got somebody there that's going to really lead him and give him an opportunity to learn uh, probably a little quicker than than I expected. So overall, I thought it was great. It, you got to know the players a little bit better, and, and I thought it was a lot of fun, and I look forward to this week's episode. It's a shame, really, that we didn't see, you know, some of uh, the characters like uh, Johnny Hecker. I would have liked to see more of him. Uh, obviously, Todd Gurley, we're going to see more of him. Uh, Aaron Donald, I think, is going to be uh, somebody to look out for. But um, it, it, it's really interesting. Me, me personally, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, it, it did give us a better perspective of our coaches. Uh, I know we kind of rag on them a lot, thinking about 7-9 and nine mentality. Well, it, it's pretty obvious that Jeff Fisher wants to get away from that. And I, I got to say, I love that aspect of it. Yeah, it was it's just hilarious seeing that massive guy pulling a bunch of tank tops out. And then he said something like, you don't want a tank top that goes too low because it'll look like too much. And it's like, dude, every tank top you wear looks like too much. You're gigantic. What are you trying to contain in a tank top? I think you don't try to contain anything in a tank top. I just thought it was funny that he had such an array of different styles and why he wears each one. And then he talks about the three-quarter sleeves that is – that his wife got for him, and, and he's like, you know, this is pushing it. Yeah, that was insane. Well, we'll see what they do in week two against the Kansas City Chiefs. Should be a good game. Hopefully we'll get to see a lot more of Jared Goff, and I'd like to see a lot more of Sean Mannion too, see if he does it two weeks in a row. And uh, I'm hoping that we can see some of these other receivers that we've been talking about, considering that Spruce is out with an injury and, and so forth. So, uh, I'm looking forward to the next preseason game. Um, it's at the Coliseum also, so 
We'll see how they do with the crowd uh, the next time that they have a game there. And uh, we look forward to talking about it here next week, and hopefully we have another win under our belt to be talking about. Yeah. type of drama. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Curry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rivals. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA. Only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com